comrades, and welcome to the Sunflower Socialist Podcast. Today, I'm going to be doing an interview with Senate candidate Brian Matlock here in Kansas. Now, Brian Matlock is a Republican candidate, but he's running as an open socialist. So that's a little bit of a weird combination that you don't hear a whole lot. I do want to go ahead and say up front that I'm not endorsing Brian Matlock as part of this podcast, and I will be getting a bit more into my reasons for that at the end of the addendum after the interview. But I did just want to highlight this story because I think it's kind of an interesting event here in Kansas. And I also want to go ahead and apologize up front that the audio may not be that great for the interview itself. I'm doing this through Zoom, and it's the first time I've ever tried this, so we'll see how it goes. But with that out of the way, let's go ahead and get into the interview. So everyone, we're here with Brian Matlock, a Republican Senate candidate here in Kansas, and he is an open socialist. So this is going to be a little interesting. So Brian, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Brandon. Thanks for having me. So uh, could you tell us a little bit about your uh, background and why you decided to run for the Senate? Yeah, basically, I uh, currently am teaching and researching at UMKC in economics, which uh, is one of few lefty programs in the country. One of my former advisors is now the chief economist for Bernie Sanders. Uh, So basically, I had been involved in like all these policy discussions and conferences and everything for a long time and uh, had an idea, partly because we keep seeing in election after election some centrist status quo liberal versus far-right nationalists, like uh, Bollier versus Kobach in this particular, or, uh, you know, Clinton, Trump, Biden, Trump, but then just around the world, same thing, Uh, Macron versus Le Pen in France, or... um, And part of what we're seeing is with globalization, we have these uh, increasing healthcare, housing, education costs for 40 years, growing inequality uh, at the very time when we're creating more wealth than ever before. And uh, none of them are addressing the root issues. Nationalism sort of like uh, is an option for blaming people for the problems because during uh, this neoliberal globalization period, we we see like massive displacement, both like rural to urban with all the agricultural reforms and also um, poor countries. And you see massive companies can produce enough for half the world. And so they put out of business lots of local producers and things. And so there's just huge, movement of populations in addition to all of the, like, if you're a petty producer, sorry, jumped right into too much without the intro. So anyways, nobody's addressing root issues. Uh, The nationalists are kind of scapegoating immigrants and people of color for their problems, but the liberals are just like, uh, let me have some like symbolic culture worries type of uh, stuff, but we don't actually want change of the system because we're benefiting from it. So that's how I got into it. Um, most of my life, who I am, like I live here in Kansas City, Kansas for the last 11 years from Nampa, Idaho. Uh, grew up in a very Republican uh, area in a Republican family and have lived in red states my whole life. Um, and I feel like um just a lot of the values of small town and communitarian the communitarian values of small town and rural folks which are often republican areas have more in common with socialism than they do with big business republicans so it feels like there's an opportunity to kind of heighten those contradictions already present and uh i think if any left electoral politics is going to seriously challenge uh, the Democrats. They can't be the only game in town. They're happy to keep stringing along progressive votes and say, oh, well, where else are you going to go? And I think if we want to build a third party option that's actually a major party, with, uh, we have to be able to find a way to reach working class Republicans. And I think They've been struggling in uh, this time period, and we can provide a better narrative than white nationalists are providing 
that recognizes what they're going through, but in solidarity with women, people of color, LGBTQ, rather than scapegoating them. So that actually really segues well into my next question, and that's you're running as a Republican, and this has really baffled a lot of people, both left and right. You know, the traditional you know left leftist social strategy has been you know either we need to do like a dirty break with the Democratic Party, or we need to you know just go with a clean break, uh, straight up form a new party now. No one seems to be talking you know in any way about even bothering with the Republican Party. It's just an anathema. So why? Why are you running in the Republican primary? Yeah, I uh, took a long journey into left politics. I was initially studying to be a minister, and um, but was always kind of um, both doing stuff internationally and then for communities. And as I was like working with them and being in their communities, I'm like, whoa, the framework I have to understand all of this is not sufficient. And then started uh, reading more like liberation theology, Christian socialism, and uh, kind of took this long, uh, long route. My wife is a sociologist, so we kind of been in a radicalization feedback loop where she, <laughs> we'd get uh, different things and read and discuss. And um, but I felt like the whole process, like now I identify as a socialist. But I felt like the values that led me towards socialism came from my parents, my Republican parents. Like a lot of the things, like they were always like value people over uh, money and acquisitiveness, which is sort of ironic because that their sort of value of contentment and like just focus on people, like be happy with what you have, don't be envious of other people, kind of makes them, makes the greediest people in our society kind of turn them against socialists and union organizers and things like that. Oh, they're always demanding more, never content, things like that. But um, I don't know, my parents were pro-immigration. They were just like, yeah, we should like, uh, you know, if I was in dire poverty and would I like break the laws to try to provide a better life for my kids? Of course I would. Um, and so I, I feel like that sort of the hospitality ethic and the opening your home, the helping out your neighbors, like it's just very different than the Republican Party leadership. And so I guess I had the idea that um, I also Democrats, their strategy in red states is always to run like the most corporate liberal possible. Uh, and they just like any sort of imagination. And then when I talk to somebody uh, from the Democratic Party, they're like, well, we only need 10 counties to win the Kansas Senate seat. So like they, anytime there's been like a Chamber of Commerce in rural Kansas, the Democrats don't show up. Uh, and it's like, they just, why would anyone vote for someone who doesn't care about them, doesn't like, uh, doesn't like them? <laughs> and um, And so I feel like, they just sort of abandon a lot of rural America to only be organized by white nationalists or by things like that. And so I think as socialists, we, we got to cut the crap with playing any like Democrats, uh, good team, bad team stuff. Uh, and like our, our uh, loyalty should be to the working class, like organizing them around their needs where they are. And um, I think there's a big untapped <laughs> opportunity <laughs> with a lot of um, at least the working class Republicans who haven't already been radicalized by extreme right media. <laughs> um. So I kind of go ahead and apologize right off the bat, and I was hoping to avoid this, but my vent just turned on, so that is definitely going to be affecting the audio. I'll apologize to both our listeners and to you, Brian, for that. But uh, you talked about you know being a socialist and all that, so you're running as an open socialist, but can you tell me what socialism means to you, how you define socialism? Is it more social democracy type, or are you more you know full-on anti-capitalist? Yeah, I think long run, I uh, would like to see our economy radically shift. And I have a bit of a libertarian socialist background. So like um, a lot of like workplace democracy, local cooperatives, things like that. 
Um, I think there are things that we need um, national solutions, but as much as possible, we should try to like be encouraging participation in all levels of society in our political and economic uh, system. But yeah, I'm not tied to um, the uh, traditional private economy in any uh, way. I just, uh, I think I look at it as sort of technologies uh, or like a medication. Uh, it might accomplish certain things, but if there's tons of side effects, once a medication comes along that has fewer side effects, uh, the old medication is now a uh, malpractice to continue to prescribe it. And uh, similarly, what I think we're doing is we see all of these awful side effects of having capitalism, uh, and there are exist solutions to different problems or different things that uh, capitalism does fix. And I think we can continue to experiment to replace the other uh, things, both capitalism and hierarchy uh, uh, in the long run. But um, kind of, uh, I don't know the solutions to everything, but I know like a lot of things concrete right now we could be doing. Uh, and I think setting the next generation up to keep moving in a more like radically empowering uh, and human-based economy. So I see socialism as a, um, in a lot of ways, as a set of values rather than a particular me mechanism, because it's like, um, it's like with, China or something. We're socialists. Well, I see it as values by which you can judge what what you're doing. Like, well, have we accomplished socialism? Have we do we have an economy that values people over growth and things that like where uh, human needs are met and it's not just like growth and acquisitiveness at all costs, churning people out and. Um, you can take a nuanced approach, like here are things they do well, here are things they do poorly, but um, I see it as sort of like we have this goal uh, uh, and pictures of what we want an economy to look like and we need to keep solving problems as much as we're not like that. So You say you probably identify more as a libertarian socialist type. Uh, is there maybe a historical socialist tradition or... Uh, maybe a historical socialist figure you really heavily identify with? I mean, a lot of, like, when I think about uh, right now, a lot of the um, urban planners and urban geographers and things have, like, a very libertarian socialist sort of bent about, like, how do we design cities and spaces in a ways that are built for use, not for exchange value <laughs> that are built for, like, people participating and having control in their lives and not based on like what's easiest for central planners or something. There are plenty of old people. I mean, I've studied in my economics program, all sorts of lefty economists. Um, but uh, Colin Ward is someone who is like a British uh, anarchist community organizer planner. And um it was just, I thought, beautiful how practical a lot of his solutions were. He's like, okay, here already exists all of these things, all these ways in which there are liberatory uh, ways of organizing things already present in society, which I think helps uh, Republican types to see like, oh, here are all of these ways we already cooperate. <laughs> and uh, simple ways would be like a potluck or a barn raising or all of these things um, to kind of help them wrap their mind around. But then he's like, okay, like socialism is a park. Uh, let's like talk about, but he just like, not everything's perfect, but the way talking about uh, public transit, transportation, talking about housing, talking about all of these really practical things in ways that like um, he gives critiques of the, the liberal welfare state that I think would resonate a lot with Republican types. Uh, it's sort of like, we don't want to solve any of the actual underlying inequalities or provide a way forward. We just like 
want to take the edge off of capitalism by giving people a bare subsistence handout as their community continues to decline. Um, but talking about ways to give more power and autonomy, and then just in general, some of the participat radical participatory developments tradition, uh, kind of like both Paulo Freire, uh, Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And yeah, I copy that book over myself over there. So. Um, and um, so there, there are just a lot of those kind of like radical experiments where we like get the community get together to build something different. And I think the problem with, with it by itself is that it's been co-opted by the right movements, which shows how uh, popular the, um, how much the language resonates with right-wing people that they just steal it from <laughs> radical libertarian socialists. But uh, what happens is they impose austerity and then they use like mutual aid and all of these things as a bootstrap it, but it's like uh, y'all are on your own, figure it out. Um, and it's it, where they actively are undermining the economic conditions that could provide forward change. And so I think, um, it, we need uh, at a national level, it will help a lot more for those type of local efforts if we end austerity practices. And then, but um, taking in mind some of the things like uh, a federal job guarantee that has uh, aspects of it that are locally administered. Um, so using systems kind of like participatory budgeting, where it's like the discretionary funds are democratically decided how we're going to spend this as a community. But similarly, people know like there's lots of work to be done even when there's unemployment. So having uh, programs where we could, uh, you know, focus on the arts or infrastructure, planting trees, doing things like all sorts of things. Um, but so people have more control. And I think the local control and then the emphasis on work has a lot of overlap with uh, working class Republican values. That's actually uh, I wanted to move on to, uh, which is, are your policies, and in particular that job guarantee. Of course, in addition, you support things like Medicare for all, making crossing the border a civil rather than criminal offense. But the jobs guarantee is perhaps your most defining issue, and it's a locally managed federal jobs guarantee. So I think a lot of people listening to this podcast support a federal jobs guarantee, and I would like it if you could elaborate a bit on your specific version of it. Maybe tell us a bit how it differs from some of the other proposals like that proposed by Bernie Sanders and Kirsten Gillibrand, for example. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely overlap. I mean, again, one of my advisors is Bernie Sanders, <laughs> the chief advisor. Um, so it's sort of uh, in part a matter of emphasis and like how much I'm investing in trying to like make the local administration a really robust central feature of it. Um, and then I think with the Green New Deal in general, which includes the Green Jobs Guarantee, um, there's too much of it because socialists a uh, hundred years ago in Kansas were organizing farmers into cooperatives, miners against exploitative mining companies. They were very active in Kansas. But now they're mainly urban and very educated uh, people who are often not in direct production of uh, commodities um, in the traditional like industrial capitalism or agricultural sense. And so uh, the I think there's a lot of sort of biases and assumptions. Like when I talk to farmers, most of them don't like how farming is right now with the corporate agriculture. It's like depopulated their areas as like fewer farms are gobbled up, but they're super locked in debt to corporations. They're producing like way more than ever before, but the final price to consumers has barely changed. Like price of beef, like 10 cents per pound after decades of moving heaven and earth to like completely reform uh, <laughs> agriculture. And oh, wow, we saved 10 cents a pound. Um, but then for farmers, it's completely changed their way of life. Um, but it's just the corporations, both like uh, Cargill, Monsanto, who own like rights to seeds or rights to all of these technologies, 
um, control the supply lines and all of these things, they are making massive profits while the farmers are getting squeezed out. Um, and so they miss the, the more like family farm and, and uh, like more robust community they had back in the day. So I think a Green New Deal, a job guarantee thing should seem like a win for them that is helping them like dream something for the future and not just being reacting to these movements of capital rather than something that like, oh, these coastal idiots are shoving down my throat, this new. And so, um, so I really care about like, how do we organize people and how do we get them on board? So they're like actively designing and they feel like this is my win. Like this is re reforming agriculture is going to be my win. Um, so yeah, the local administration, basically we already have an unemployment office infrastructure in our country turn it into an employment office infrastructure uh, and like use that uh, so that people can set local priorities. I imagine there will be some things we'll want to do on a larger scale, um, especially transitioning to a, a greener economy. But um, like I, things like participatory budgeting where local communities decide what, uh, how discretionary funds are spent rather than we got a big windfill from the lead, a windfall from the legends here in Kansas and uh, went to the county commissioners. They just divided up. Okay. You, you each get this slush fund and spend it in your community. However you want. One of the commissioners gave a hundred percent of the, that discretionary budget to her own nonprofit. So she could be paid uh, from it. So instead having that uh, like money controlled democratically on a local level. And I think, both with workplace democracy and the sort of local decision-making, my hope is that the more people have control of their lives, are participating in decision-making, the more engaged they'll be, and it will start to change our intuitions. Like when we organize to accomplish some task, like do we do it hierarchy? Okay, I'm in charge, you guys do this. Like, um, but I think as, more people are participating in cooperatives and uh, participation at all levels. It will help us build a foundation to continue to experiment and build a more cooperative society in general. So those are probably your two biggest proposals, Green New Deal and the Jobs Guarantee, and they kind of go hand in hand, as you said. And you really highlighted the importance of you know, getting them to address the rural crisis and things like that. That's very big issues here in Kansas. And of course, in addition to that, you list a bunch of other things on your website, Medicare for All, ending mass incarceration, abolishing ICE, decriminalizing border crossing, making housing a human right. But there are some issues I didn't see on your website uh, that I did want to ask about, uh, like labor unions, workers' rights, LGBTQIA rights, uh, and others. So first, do you support labor unions, and would you support, for example, the repeal of the Taft-Hartley Act? Uh, yes, uh, to both accounts. I think... Um you know, in many cases, historically, there've been, uh, it's, it's like they're, like, they haven't always been perfect, but of course, like, uh, <laughs> there is unified representation of the, of the interests of the owners and the wealthy, um, and so I think workers need to be organizing themselves. If there is no community input, there are different things historically that um, its unions kind of fight for their own best interests, which might be different than both capitalists and like the community at large. And so the less of a um, scarcity oriented society, again, like where if we have labor saving technology, that's going to mean people lose their jobs and the work week can actually increase and wages go down when we need fewer laborers because uh, we're unemployed creating unemployment, things like that. And so labor unions have often fought against those type of things. The more we build a liberatory society um, and could like, well, let's reduce the uh, work week because we have so many labor-saving devices, then it, it's, it'll be easier for unions and things to be like, uh, have more consistent always uh, like in the, um, with the best interests of society. but. Generally speaking, yeah, like if I'm always on the side of uh, labor when it comes to these disputes um, and uh, 
organize. I think a lot of uh, the problems of neoliberalism that I've talked about have been caused by uh, undermining labor movements and getting, you know, right to work and all of these sorts of things that have given a ton of power and ability for corporations to play uh, laborers and communities against each other. Um, and so I think we need a strong labor movement if we're going to see rising wages and uh, benefits again in our country. So, uh, what's the other you, thing you asked about? Uh, the Taft-Hartley Act was part of that question. I think you kind of covered that. Uh, but then, uh, where do you stand on LGBTQIA rights? Yeah, I've actually been endorsed by uh, Equality Kansas, and uh, I fully support all rights. Um, and I think, uh, partly as I've been speaking in Republican communities, kind of anyone who feels like a bit of an outsider comes up and talks to me. Oh yeah, I'm a weirdo too. Uh, but you know, he's like. What's with like LGBTQ rights? Like, aren't we supposed to be the party that fights for everybody's constitutional rights? This stuff's crazy. I totally support those guys. Uh, and so I, I think there are like it is changing. Like, uh, there are definitely a higher rate of people who aren't supportive. But in a way, I think that's exactly why we should be organizing because it's like. Um, it can be painful for those people to be in uh, communities where there's a lot of people reacting negatively towards them. And so I think those of us, uh, and similarly with racial issues, people in small towns have a lot of assumptions and their like media filters a lot of their experience of these other people um, in a similar way that people in urban areas have a lot of assumptions and filters about what rural people are like. And so um, I think it's important for those of us who are relatively privileged or uh, to be getting our people, so to speak, like we should be actively um, talking about LGBTQ rights, about racial justice and things like that. Um, but in a way that helps build, uh, like the way people change most or, is by talking about the values they already have and how the best way to live those out is by, you know, showing up for racial justice, by showing up for LGBTQ people, um, because everybody has values that are in conflict with one another. You see, like, their sort of family values can change. Not everybody, but a lot of uh, people who are conservative, it's like, oh, I have a kid. Well, my family values and my love for my child are in conflict with some of my big picture ideas about LGBTQ, and um, it maybe takes them a while, but they change. Um, and uh, I think we're already seeing, there's still lots of culture war things, but we're just seeing a big uh, shift in that. And there's a lot of people who are opening their minds to that issue. And so I think um, just talking about it in positive ways uh, is, helpful. So, yeah. So one last uh, issue and policy related question for you. The incumbent that you are running to replace, uh, Senator Pat Roberts, uh, who I agree with on basically nothing. But one thing I do agree with him on is actually the Cuban embargo. He's been a longtime opponent of the Cuban embargo and for opening up trade with Cuba, especially for agricultural products. There goes the vent again. Um, so as senator, if you are, were to be elected, and that's a big if there, would you take a similar stand as Pat Roberts and call for an end to the Cuban embargo? Absolutely. Uh, I think it is so petty and uh, it's sort of embarrassing that all of these years later, we're still doing this over some like, I don't like what you're doing with your country, like from a million years ago. And we're like too proud to end it. Like, end the Cuban embargo, get on with your life. Oh my gosh. Uh, and, yes. So, oh, in general, I just like wonder what different experiments would look like if they weren't actively uh, subverted and fought against uh, throughout time. And, you know, I feel a little bit like that as a Republican socialist, <laughs> like, it's like, okay, no debates, we're shutting you. Luckily, a lot of local 
Republican groups have invited me, uh, but the state leadership wants nothing to do with me. Um, and even a lot of lefty organizations, uh, including Kansas City DSA. Sorry, I love you guys. I love everything you're doing. But like I asked about uh, being able to at least make my case and get an endorsement. And I was like told I have no interest in your campaign. Bye. So it's sort of like it, most won't even touch it. And they'll they'll like let progressive organizations are endorsing some like corporate lib over me <laughs> because, oh, Republican bad. So, similarly, like, we should support people trying to do new weird stuff that's, like, liberatory, and uh, I really hope uh, the YPG uh, can also <laughs> provide some support, like, I'm sure nothing, not everything's perfect, nothing ever is, but, like, come on, like, stop trying to force everyone to be, like, part of the American Empire. <laughs> So uh, that actually, again, segues really well into uh, my next question, and that is, uh, let's move on, uh, on the campaign trail itself. Uh, how have you been received by, you know, both Republican voters and uh, Republican leaders? You know, at the state level, they you've said they are not too fond of you, but how have, uh, you know, just some of the rank and file or like mid-level Republican leaders kind of received your campaign? I'm assuming it's a lot like, what the hell? Yeah, it's... Um... It's kind of funny that I think they're, they hear me enough, they realize that a lot of their, they don't, it's like socialism equals communism and fascism and death. And like, and Barbara Bollier is the radical communist socialist fascist. And like, they, it's just none of those words mean anything. And so they hear me talk and making sense. And I've been in a process of like, finding language that works because yeah, some things uh, don't, but like um, just some of the ways about like uh, I'm running as a Republican socialist. I know that's weird, but a lot of us Republicans like distrust big business as much as big government, like to take care of our needs and like start talking about things. And then um, I had several people come up afterwards and say, you know, I'm, I'm sure we don't agree on everything, but a lot of that stuff you're saying about the economy really makes some sense. Um, and so I, and then when you're talking individuals or door knocking, I've been really pleasantly surprised with how, uh, how much people are just open to talk about it, even if they don't agree. It's sort of like this relatively small subset, which you're going to see a lot more than social media, like people who are consuming like really extremist far right media all the time are often on social media all the time. Um, but people who aren't doing that, I feel like um, it is, there are lots of opportunities for good uh, conversations. And um, so it's just like a lot of local organizations have said, have in, went ahead and invited me and uh, been pretty kind to me, even though I'm a weirdo. They usually gasp when I say I'm a Republican socialist. Um, but I don't know. I think it's it's gone quite well compared to what I uh, my worst fears. Uh, so, how have you been received by some of the other Republican candidates? Because I know uh, quite a few of them have, uh, uh, including the now withdrawn uh, Sarah Wagle. Uh, I think I said that Susan Su Susan Wagle. Yes, sorry. Uh, it doesn't matter what her name is. She's a disgrace to the state. Uh, her whole campaign was really centered on, I'm not, I'm against socialism. So like we've seen quite a few candidates who are building their campaigns about being against socialism. So how have your interactions with them been? And I'm also kind of curious about how your interactions with uh, Kobach, the fascist have been. Yeah, they, um, it's been humorous uh, because like, I, I mean, again, I'm trying to, run like a positive campaign and talk about like good neighbor values and all, all of this. Like, and so when they're talking about like the greatest threat to our nation is socialism. And I got into this to protect we're under attack and all this stuff. And I'm like, Hey everybody, I'm a socialist. I think we should all just help each other out. <laughs> like um, it's, I at least find it uh, funny and ironic and um like, so far, they've mostly been fine to me. Like, Susan Wagle was not nice to me uh, as a person. 
God, the fact that we have socialists here just shows how bad our nation's gotten. Um, but uh, they've mainly tried to ignore me, but I think I've been doing well because I just know a lot more about the economy and about various things than uh, the other candidates. And so uh, Kobach finally attacked me for the first time last night. Um, but he hit me right in my wheelhouse. Uh, so that didn't work out too well for him. He, he challenged some of the stuff I was talking about, the deficit and about uh, government finance and stuff like that. And I had the receipts ready. So I was like, uh, actually, everyone Google US central balances. This is what happened. This is what happened. This is what happens. Sit down, Kobach. <laughs> um, and so it's been like good to kind of, I've, I've generally not like in public forums been kind of like talk about it in general. Like, look, these people have bad economics. They cause scarcity because we're fighting over scraps. Uh, and then they start blaming them on, blaming our problems on immigrants when we could have had like a functioning economy and full employment the whole time. Uh, like, uh, and so. At the end of the day, I don't know. I think they, it's it's thrown a wrench because they all want to. They're like all running on a. I'm the most Trumpian candidate. I'm the biggest outsider, and it's funny because I'm like obviously the biggest outsider, and uh, both to politics and to the the whole establishment. And they're all just kind of like, yeah, Trump man, and I'm like. What about this and blah, 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 I don't know. So it's, I think it's thrown them off because it's changed the nature of the conversation. They like, all these people who expected to stand out don't stand out at all um, in the forums and debates and things. So, uh, yeah. Another thing I've heard, and I've heard this from, you know, Democrats, socialists, and also other Republicans, is they say that your campaign is just a vanity campaign. Uh, and on the left, especially, they say that you're actively harming progressives and socialists and drawing attention and resources from other campaigns and organizing efforts. Uh, how do you respond to that, to those accusations? Um, yeah, I think uh, it is totally incorrect. For one, I have uh, not been drawing uh, much uh, resources. And then... Um, like I have tried overwhelmingly to reach average working class Republicans and get their votes. I have not like, I did not run a massive like switch from a uh, Democrat to Republican to help me win the primary. Um, and I think, um, they have a short term limited view. Like again, in the long run, if we want to either build another party or a significant movement where we have enough people to pass some of these really ambitious legislation, uh, we're going to need some Republicans uh, and not the current ones, but like we need to have a movement of working class Republicans who are going to support that. And um, we should be organizing working class Republicans. Like, so many of the urban uh, like socialists have bought into this classist BS that has been around for forever. Like that, oh, these backwards inbred redneck, like they view, have this really demeaned view of working class people as unworthy of attention things. And I, I think that's been a major problem of allying with the Democratic Party in such a significant way is that they buy into this like suburban pearl clutching uh, condescension. And, um, and no, I think like I'm trying to build a movement that has long-term possibilities for our country. I don't think like what we see is all these socialists or different things. They're like, what is our option? Barbara Bollier, come on. Like uh, uh, she's like not going to support any of the policies that socialists care about. Um, she's more status quo, like neoliberal, which fuels nationalism. Like liberal, like neoliberalism, going back to that is not, like yes, nationalism is the wrong reaction to it, but we don't wanna go back to the system that's fueling that. I think early on, my gambit was, we have all of these pro-Trump candidates, like 
there are 10 other candidates beside myself in the Republican primary, all basically running on the identical platform. And so I'm, I thought, they're going to split the vote. Uh, it's an open seat. And um, there might be enough people who don't like the Trumpian thing to uh, win a Republican primary. Like, I don't need a ton of plurality. I just need enough. But if I won the Republican primary in a red state, it would like expose the libs who oppose any progressives running in red states because they're like, no, the only thing uh, based on our view of Republican voters, they're, they just care about corporations and things. Uh, so the only thing we can do is run a pro-corporate candidate. No, if we have someone who's like addressing their actual needs, I think it would call out the hypocrisy and what we've seen even from the squad or other things, they aren't able to critique the democratic establishment enough because they uh, depend on it. And so I think it allows like really sharp critiques of uh, liberalism from the uh, right party that has more independence from it. And I think if I had gotten to the general, it would have been a landslide. Like I could have picked up like immigrants, women, people of color and progressives and uh, formed a new coalition, a lot of the wealthy Republicans and uh, businesses would have gone to support the Democratic candidate. And uh, that sounds pretty awesome if we get all the working class over here and uh, the rich folks over here. So I think um, they, like, just this idea that uh, I'm ruining the world by not having the Joe Bidens of the world, uh, uh, in power, I, I just think it's a very short-sighted view. Um, and it's like, they still have the general. I'm not like, <laughs> they still have the general election, assuming I lose, uh, then great, do your thing. Like um, progressive organizations could hopefully endorse me in the primary and then whatever. Yeah. So yeah, that, uh... Like you, it sounds like you're uh, very aware of the limitations of uh, your campaign, and I do want to get into that here in a second. But uh, you know, let's say that you are successful, uh, that you do get, uh, you know, that the Republican vote is so divided that you come out on top. Uh, how would you then? Uh, and again, if you do come out on top, I do think it is quite likely that you would become the next senator because, if we're being honest, the only one that I really think, well, there are two. I think that uh, Bollier could beat, and it's. Uh, Kobach, because he's widely despised in this state. Uh, and then, uh, what's his face? The plumber guy, I'm spacing on his Bob name. Bob Hamilton. Bob Hamilton. I'm from Johnson County. I should know that guy. I see his commercials all the time. Um, oh, during the swamp. <laughs> yeah, he's an idiot. Like, I think he would, he would lose even worse than Kobach would. Uh, but, you know, assuming that you were the nominee, that you uh, did get to the Senate, how would you then propose to work with the Republican leadership in the Senate? Because... What, I would think that you'd be saying the exact same traps for yourself within the Republican Party that you say that AOC and the squad have set for themselves within the Democratic Party. Yeah, and, and that's partly why I think we need movement both within both parties and outside of them uh, in order to like provide broad pressure and avoid being strung along. I think what I would need to do to be building... I mean, I would kind of caucus with the Rose Caucus or it's like... Uh, I mean, it, at the beginning of this election season, I thought we we might be looking at a Bernie Sanders presidency and like a pretty like broad progressive movement in because uh, there's just so many progressives to have run. Unfortunately, even though I think they've done well, given the lack of uh, resources and name recognition and experience most have started out with, um, they just by and large have not won at the levels that I thought and I hoped. And then uh, Bernie Sanders. So um, being in Senate right now would be a bit different. I think what I would try to do is to be putting forward a lot of legislation that is um, the sort of like building from Republican values that overlap with socialism so that I'm like on a very active front foot rather than reacting to the sort of nonsense partisan politics that's already going on. Um, they have given me zero support up to now. I don't think I'll be relying on them for too much more because there's, uh, I don't know, 
the chances, unless there was like immense social media pressure, uh, that like McConnell would put me on a uh, committee <laughs> of any sort, uh, aren't great. And so it would, it's basically going to be organizing like outside pressure. And I think I'm even more of an outsider, which would give me like, uh, I would be happy to support like outsiders primarying basically everyone in Congress from both parties. Um, and so, um, yeah, I think at this point, like, I didn't get the uh, early momentum and then, uh, or money, and so it was sort of like, we're having consistent growth, but it's like, I couldn't keep paying my campaign manager, uh, and he had a bunch of student debt, so, but then COVID's shutdown happened, I couldn't be meeting people face-to-face, -face. didn't finish the campaign video until, like, way, like, months later, and so there have been a lot of, uh, of uh, setbacks. Uh, it's hard to see anything happening at, at this point, but um, I'm still trying to like just focus on like what are the things I care about and want to be building for the future uh, for like progressive movements. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you did get there, I'm sure that you and Mitt Romney could probably form your own little uh, internal dissidents caucus within the GOP. Uh, but if we're being realistic, I. I personally do not see you winning. The polls have got it as a maybe two and a half man race uh, with Hamilton in, uh, in third and Kobach and Marshall in first and second. Uh, so how well do you think you're going to do? Uh, again, I um, not great. And that's partly uh, I've never run a campaign before. And uh like we started quite late uh, in November and then um, like I was sort of running it on my own through all of COVID uh, and just on social media. And so um, I think we've seen a big uptick in this last month of the election, but it's sort of like, yeah, I might've had a shot if I was where I am now a year ago, <laughs> um, both in terms of knowing what I'm doing, running a campaign, having language uh, worked out, uh, like getting enough name recognition that I can start trying to convince people to vote for me. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I don't think I have, uh, I'm not expecting a lot out of this primary, let's say that. Um, I, I would think that uh, anything more than, you know, like 2% would probably make a few, uh, a few folks at the at the uh, Republican Senate Campaign Committee and uh, the Kansas Republican Party make their heads explode. So you know that would be that'd be kind of fun to see. But you know, I yeah, I, we'll we'll have to see when the primary results come in in August. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Brian. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brandon. Appreciate it. So that was my interview with Brian Matlock, a Republican Senate candidate here in Kansas, who's running as an open socialist. So what do I think? Well. There are a lot of his policies that I do agree with. Uh, it, he's got an interesting perspective. It's generally just an interesting story for Kansas and an interesting chapter in the history of Kansas socialism. But I don't think he's going to win. As I said in the podcast, I think he's going to lose. Because at the end of the day, it really the Senate race really is a two-man race, maybe three if we include Bob Hamilton in there, but really the race is between Roger Marshall and Chris Kobach. Neither of them are good, but they're the competitors on the Republican side. Barbara Bollier is not my favorite, but she is far preferable to Kobach or Roger Marshall, in my opinion. I initially had supported Usha Reddy for the Senate seat, but she dropped out due to her mayoral responsibilities during the COVID crisis. I think Brian's strategy is interesting, but lacking. I think that, in all reality, the Republican Party is a dead end if you want to do anything for the left, anything progressive, because it is so thoroughly captured by this right-wing tendency that there isn't really any hope of building a progressive movement, a left movement, within the GOP. It's just not going to happen. It never will happen, and it can't happen. The Republican Party has just been moving further and further to the right since the 1960s, and there is no way that it could be reclaimed as some sort of leftist outfit or that you could build some sort of leftist movement within the GOP. 
we obviously want to win GOP voters over to our side, but you really cannot do that by mounting an effective campaign through the Republican Party. And I think that was not the best aspect of his strategy there. So that's the main reason I'm not going to be endorsing him. I think, you know, it's good he's pushing some of these issues into the spotlight, but he's not going to have a great platform. He hasn't had a great platform. The GOP establishment has excluded him from debates. And it's hard enough getting anywhere within the Democratic Party, getting a platform within the Democratic Party. It's nearly impossible within the GOP, except at a very local level, as Brian said. So as the GOP becomes increasingly this far-right nationalist party, boring on out-and-out fascism, it's not really going to be conceivable to build any sort of left-wing alternative through the, Repub- through the Republican ballot line. It's just not going to happen. So, you know, I think what he's doing is interesting. Uh, if you disagree with me, that's fine. But I also don't think it's a very good strategy. I would also say I'm not entirely sure that his campaign can really be considered a class struggle campaign. Since the whole point of a class struggle campaign isn't just to run on the principles around class struggle, he didn't even talk that much about class anyways. It's more about, you know, uplifting these worker movements, these mass movements to build a better society. And he's like, oh, well, we need these movements, but he's not really doing a whole lot to build these movements. And I think that's a bit questionable in terms of his strategy as well. So that's just my take on him. I will not be endorsing him. You know, I wish him the best of luck, but I don't see him doing particularly well. But it's just an interesting thing that I thought I would draw a little attention to here in Kansas politics this cycle. So I hope you all enjoyed it. I'm currently working on a very big project for my YouTube channel, so please stay tuned for that in the coming months. And if you like this show, please be sure to subscribe and share around. Also check out my YouTube channel where I do live streams and upload other videos occasionally. And if you really like the show and want to go that extra mile, please be sure to support me on Patreon. Thanks so much for listening, and as always, solidarity.